Good morning, family. I would ask that you would turn your attention to the monitors above for a special presentation, Faith. Started coming in, so we went to the second floor. And so how did they get you in that basket? We climbed out the windows with the sliding doors, and they just strapped us in. And what's your name? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what's your, how old's your son? He's six, Jeremiah Jr. Yeah. We thank God. We thank God. And this is all you have? Yeah, this is all we got. We lost the car, all the clothes, school clothes, everything gone. Everything gone. Where do you go now? We don't know. We don't know. But you're thankful? Yeah. We thankful. God good. Jeremiah, thank you. God Jeremiah good. Jeremiah Jr., thank you. A simple task, but yet so far-fetched. In this changing world, let us hold on to our unchanging faith in God. Faith. What is faith? Faith is unquestioning belief, loyalty, complete trust, or reliance. Now let me share with you a few things that we've grown to have faith in complete trust or reliance. The stoplight. We trusted enough to walk out in front of a couple thousand pounds of moving metal while crossing the intersection, checking our emails on our cell phones. The alarm clock. We rely on it to wake us up, to get our day started, daylight saving times or not. And we have full confidence that the grocery stores will be well stocked with food when we go into the stores. And we even trust the internet and all of its apps and fake news. Well, listen, I have a news flash for you this morning, and it's not fake. God is still on the throne, and he loves you. Our daily lives are filled with images of superheroes and not super deeds. But God is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound. And not only can he see through walls, he can look inside of your heart and speak to your soul. God can defeat your enemies. Faith. Every believer has been given a measure of faith. Now, we are bombarded daily with tragedies and misfortunes on the radio and television and the World Wide Web. And to combat this, generally, we spend two hours on a Sunday trying to make it all go away with a message of hope only to have to face it all over again the next 24-6, racing our way through life, 
dodging the pitfalls until we can make our way back to the pit stop, the church. And we return the next Sunday because of our faithfulness, hoping to rejuvenate ourselves only to push our way through a new set of circumstances. Oftentimes, we seldom pause to reflect on the message we've heard or make a deliberate effort to put into practice what was shared. It seems like we have a short-term memory when it comes to the Word of God. In order to see the promises of God come to pass in your life, you must give expression to that faith through the words that you speak and the actions that you take. Now, let's get back to the basics. Please, open your Bibles. Don't panic, don't panic. It's just a temporary power failure. Now, for those of you that actually have your physical Bibles, this could present a slight problem for you unless you have your flashlights handy. Well, I know probably most of you have the Bible app on your phone or your tablets, and that's fine. But what if? What if the failure affected your ability to use the internet as well? Then your flashlight wouldn't do you a bit of good. But don't panic. The lights will be restored shortly. I just want your undivided attention for a brief moment while I make my point. Please, just listen. Like I said, let's get back to the basics. The Ten Commandments. Number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make thyself any graven images. Number three, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor thy father and mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. Now get this. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his oxen or donkeys, or anything that's your neighbor's. Now these are the basics. Now granted, I can only assume that not, if not all, but most of you don't have male servants, female servants, nor oxen or donkeys. Now that would violate several major health codes. But nevertheless, can we not all agree that it's all captured in that last part, and I quote, nor anything that's your neighbor's. Do you get the picture? Leave your neighbor's stuff alone. The Bible says that the great commandment is that we should love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, what you want men to do unto you, do also unto them. Ah. Ah. And then there was light. There you go. This should not be a hard thing to do. Listen, don't let your ability to, to, to access information globally tamper with your faith in God or your obedience to God. Don't let it cause you to go astray from God or his people. 
For by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominion, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Don't get it twisted. He is the creator of everything, including that iPhone, that laptop, and that iPad that you're watching this broadcast on now, and all the television channels that you carry around in your pocket daily. Forsake not the assembly. The church cannot grow if you're waiting on it to be delivered to you in the palm of your hand. We grow when you are here and when you're encouraging others to be here. If, if you are able, please come back to church. Come and sit close to the fire amongst fellow believers who can help you increase your knowledge of God and strengthen your faith in God. Come and give your faith a voice so that you may be able to see the promises of God come to pass in your life. I ask the question, like all state insurance, are you in good hands? God has the whole world in his hands. He has the young and the old. He has the universe in his hands. So in this changing world, let us hold on to our unchanging faith in God. Faith. Faith is confidence. Faith in God is confidence in God. Faith is trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Remember, saints, God has the whole world in his hands. So hold on to Almighty God's unchanging hand and rest. Rest beneath his wings. He is your place of safety. He will protect you. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Peace. There are two passages of scripture that we want to enter into the record. The second chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 21 through 24. St. John chapter 19, verses 32 through 37. The King James Version of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. If you are an armed believer, say amen. Let us read together these verses, Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Do you have that scripture? Let's read it loud together. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. St. John chapter 19, verses 32 through 37. Let us read together. Then came the soldiers, and break the legs of the first, and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture said, they shall look on him whom they pierce. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you for the power of the living word. Holy Spirit, we celebrate your marksmanship for you have never missed your target. God, your word never goes out and returns void. Today, as you aim at your target, we pray that you will plant your word so deeply within our hearts, our spirits, that no enemy can steal it away from us. As your word lives in us, may we bring forth fruit unto eternal life, that the world may see Jesus in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Let us say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you. Let us reason together from this subject, Christ's conception of the church. Christ's conception of the church. Will you repeat that after me? Christ's conception of the church. To understand the nature of man, one must understand the nature of God. There is no better place to begin in understanding this merger between God and man than in the book of Genesis. For if we get Genesis right, then we get the trajectory of our Judeo-Christian heritage right. For Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. And what God plants in Genesis, he harvests in dispensational development. It is in the book of Genesis that God helps us to embrace his greatness by teaching us where all life emanates from. Of course, in reading Genesis, we must put it within the theological perspective that even though the word Genesis means beginning, and Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the Bible is not written in chronological order. If we were to include chronological order, then John 1 and 1 would come before Genesis 1 and 1. For John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What we understand by this statement that John makes in his prologue to his gospel is that even though in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, before he created, he had to already be there. So what John demonstrates to us is the relationships in which God was involved. For in saying in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, it helps us to understand the nature of God and his word by the company that the word keeps. Who was the word with? 
The word is not with the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim. The word is with God for the word was God. We understand in reading Genesis that even though this term in the beginning takes us to a point that no one can number, it helps us to realize that we cannot put God inside of a 6,000-year-old box. There are some who would like to place history within the context of creation happening 6,000 years ago. And even if you count from the first Adam unto now with the Jewish calendar, you come up with nearly six millennia. In the beginning relates to a time before there was anything. God never had a beginning. God, Elohim, the self-existent one, is always God, always was, always is, always will be God. So his beginning is one thing, our beginning is another. For God inhabits the eternal now, and that is why God says, I am. He doesn't have to say, I was. For everything that God was, he still is. He doesn't have to say, I will be. For everything that God will be, he already is. So God simply says, I am. It is in Genesis that we observe the fluency with which God can shift from plural to singular. For the Lord says, let us make man in our image. Us is plural. Our is plural, but image is singular. If God were to be congruent with these terms, he would have said, let us make man in our images. But because this plural God shifts with ease from plurality into singularity, he helps us to grasp the mystery of the Trinity. Yes, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but we humans have difficulty interpreting that mystery. It's really over our head because we need to use descending numbers to try to distinguish one from the other. We mean well when we say God the Father is the first person of the Trinity and God the Son is the second person of the Trinity and God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The only problem with that is that Jesus said, I'm not second, I'm first. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So in order to grasp this mystery, the ease with which God shifts from plural to singular, we have to keep some ones handy. Instead of saying the Father's first and the Son is second and the Holy Spirit's third, God the Father's number one, God the Son is number one, God the Holy Ghost is number one, for these three are one. Come on, help me give God some praise. Yes, if we get Genesis right, we can get Matthew right. If we get Genesis right, we can get Romans right. If we get Genesis right, we can get Revelation right. But the problem is trying to get Genesis right. For even when we read verse 1 of Genesis 1, God creating the heaven and the earth, by the time we get to the second verse, we notice that something cataclysmic and catastrophic has taken place as the earth is without form and void. Darkness moves upon the face of the deep, but God sends the Holy Spirit to bring cosmos into chaos. To understand the Holy Spirit, you don't wait till you get to Acts chapter 2. If you're going to meet the Holy Spirit, you meet him in Genesis. This equal in the Trinity is God's troubleshooter. And when God pronounces judgment upon a pre-Adamic civilization, when darkness is upon the face of the deep, when God has turned the lights out and shut down everything, before he can bring order back to the universe, he has to send in the Holy Ghost. Nobody is better in bringing you from chaos into cosmos than the Holy Spirit. 
notice this striking parallel between Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 and Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2. For Jesus suffers the same fate in Isaiah 53 and 2 that the world does in Genesis 1 and 2. For as the world is without form and void and darkness is upon the face of the deep in Genesis 1 and 2, so the body of Christ becomes chaotic upon the cross as Jesus is without form and void. Jesus gets out of shape to get us in shape. Jesus dies that we might live. Jesus suffers that we might reign. Just as God judged the chaotic earth in Genesis 1 and 2, he put chaos upon Christ in Isaiah 53 and 2 as Jesus became sin for us. He never committed sin. He did something worse than that. He became sin. The sins of the world passed present and future are upon Jesus Christ and God hates sin so much that when Jesus became the thing that he hated God couldn't look upon him he turns his face away from him and the world becomes dark from the sixth to the ninth hour Jesus cries out in the anguish of the darkness my God my God why hast thou forsaken me it is impossible not to make the connection with the cross in Genesis because if God plants it in Genesis, he's going to harvest it dispensationally. That is why it is so important to make the connection between Genesis 2 verses 21 through 24 and John chapter 19 verses 32 through 37. For when we read this passage of scripture, we observe that it's not the woman who brings forth life first, that it is actually the man. God knew what he had placed within Adam. And in order to bring it forth, the Bible says God had to put him in a deep sleep. Adam didn't even know he was pregnant. But God had to anesthetize him. God had to put him to sleep so that God could do a C-section on him and then bring out that with which Adam calls woman. The reason why Adam names her woman is because he said she was taken out of man. You can't take somebody out of someone that's never been in there in the first place. You may not be able to say man to that, just say hmm. For God in taking the rib from Adam, the poet says, God took not a bone from Adam's head because the woman is not to be above man. God took not a bone from Adam's feet because the woman is not to be beneath man. God took not a bone from Adam's chest because the woman is not to be in front of man. He took not a bone from Adam's back because the woman is not to be behind man. But he took a rib from his side to symbolize equality from under his arm to be protected by him, from near his heart to be loved by him. You understand, God invests equality in this relationship. For when God makes man and woman, the Bible says he gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, over every creeping thing upon the earth. God did not give him dominion. He gave them dominion. That's why he had to get that rib from the side of Adam in order to demonstrate the equality of this partnership for a man of quality is not intimidated by a woman of equality. You understand, God in making man knew what he had placed within man. When God puts it in you, it takes God to bring it forth out of you. That is why the word says in Psalm 1 that we are like trees planted by the river of water that bring forth our fruit. Well, you can't bring forth unless God puts something in you to bring forth. God has to plant the seed within your spirit. And when God plants it in you, it takes God to birth it 
through you. No one can plant into you like God can. That's why it's a good thing that you sleep with God. Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for my yoke is easy. My burden is light when you get yoked with Christ. Because of the sanctity of this covenant relationship, God has the right to sow into you, to plant in you what only God can birth through you. Yes, then in the spirit we bring forth what can never be possible in the flesh. Jesus can make you so pregnant in the spirit, man or woman, that he says, if you believe on me, as the scripture has said, I'm going to plant my word in you that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. If you sleep with the enemy, you're going to have some bad fruit. But if you sleep with God, God will bring forth fruit unto eternity. Come on, help me give God some praise in here. Yes, if God begins it in Genesis, he's going to finish it in dispensational development. What God plants in the dispensation of innocence, he may not harvest until the dispensation of human government, what God plants in the dispensation of conscience, he may not harvest until the dispensation of promise, what God plants in the dispensation of promise, he may not bring it forth until the dispensation of grace, which is why the Bible says what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You understand God had purpose for us under the law but he could not birth through us under the law what he wanted to bring forth because we needed the assistance of the Holy Spirit as our birthing agent. Sometimes when God puts it in you, the Holy Ghost has to be your midwife that helps you to get through the struggle of labor and delivery. For when you are in the birthing process, God has to coach you through the delivery. We understand that obviously only Christ can put this in us. When we observe the church of God in Christ, we know that God had to birth something in C.H. Mason. He was already in another church. He was already a pastor. But God had something planted in him that I'm going to birth through you. But you got to leave Lexington, Mississippi for me to birth it. In fact, you got to go to Los Angeles, California in 1906. You got to go to a, a revival on Azusa Street in a bad section of town. You got to sit under the ministry of a man that I've scarred just to make him my property. When you belong to God, God will mark you up so that the world will know, don't touch this because it belongs to me. W.J. Seymour was so marked, smallpox had scarred his face, driven him blind in one eye. He was unsightly to look upon. He was not handsome or attractive. But when he began to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit, a beauty overshadowed him that drawed people from multicultural directions. They come from every part of the world to Azusa Street to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Who but Charles Mason would come being the genesis of the Church of God in Christ so that in 2017 Charles Blake could be the revelation of what God has in this 21st century. I wish I had some help up in here. You understand only God can plant within you what only God can birth through you. This is why God had to put Adam in a deep sleep. Some things God has to plant within you subconsciously because you can't deal with it consciously. The fact of the matter is you are smarter subconsciously than you are consciously. You are stronger subconsciously than you are 
consciously. You've got more faith in your subconscious than you do in your conscious. You see, in your consciousness, you might have questions and doubts and fears and second thoughts and misgivings. And that's why God has to put something so deep in you that you can't get in there to rearrange God's purpose and plan for your life. It's like an iceberg. 5% of the iceberg is above the water table. 95% is beneath the water table. Your recall, your memory is above the water table table but when God plants it in your subconscious he can deal with 95% of you in an area that you can't control when God saves you he doesn't just save you consciously he saves you subconsciously even David said thy word have I hid subconsciously in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you go to sleep at night, God has your undivided attention in your subconscious. He can talk to you. You can't even fight back. He can reveal to you, give you dreams and visions, unfold mysteries because God works in your subconscious. You understand, sometimes God has to put us in a deep sleep. Just as surely as God put Adam in a deep sleep, he put Abraham in a deep sleep. I know that you are chosen, Abraham, and your seed are going to be the chosen people of God, Israel. But I can't tell you this while you're awake. But I'm going to put you to sleep. And while you're in your subconscious, I'm going to tell you that your seed are going to be in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. But I'm going to bring them out. If I put it in you, I'm going to bring it out. If I get you in trouble, I'll bring you out of trouble. If I put you in the fire, I'll deliver you through the fire. Yes, sometimes God has to put you into a deep sleep. In that deep sleep, he tells Joseph how to interpret Pharaoh's dream about seven years of famine that would be preceded by seven years of unusual harvest. Because God dealt with Joseph in his subconscious, he went from being a jailbird to the prime minister of the great African nation of Egypt. Because God works in the subconscious, even when John meets Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, and he sees Christ and falls as dead before his feet. God puts something in him that only God could birth through him. Jesus speaks to the man lying before him prostrate. I know he can't stand what he sees because the last time he saw me, I was hanging upon a cross. He saw me emerging from the dead. He saw me with a body that had not yet reached this level of glorification. Now he sees someone with eyes as great balls of fire, head and hair like lamb's wool, a tongue that is replaced by sharper than two-edged sword, countenance brighter than the sun, feet as fine brass, with feet like that, why wear shoes? We have shoe shine, he had feet shine. John saw that glory and fell down prostrate before Jesus. But Jesus puts something in him subconsciously when he brings him out from this anesthesia. He gives him his writing assignment to the seven churches of Asia. He gives him the doctrines of eschatology. Sometime God has to put you into a deep sleep. Joseph said, I'm not going to marry Mary. Uh, she's a virgin, but I didn't touch her. The child that's in her is not mine. And after making plans to put her away privately and saying, I'm not marrying Mary, he had the nerve to go to sleep. And while he was asleep, God got in his subconscious. God told him through the angel that holy thing which is in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. No, no, you're not going to name this baby because it's not your, it's not going to be Joseph Jr., Joseph II. His name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. When God got through dealing with Joseph in the subconscious, when God got through dealing with him in the deep sleep, and God awakens him, then Joseph hears wedding bells. 
Sometimes God has to speak to you in a level of spirituality that is above your comprehension. He had to put Paul in that kind of place when he took him to the third heaven. Paul, I'm going to show you things that you really can't talk about. It's classified information. Paul had to come back and say, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the good things that God has for them that love him. But if you get on the same wavelength, that I was on it is revealed to us in the spirit thanks be to God that when God put the first Adam in a deep sleep he's setting the stage for what he's going to fulfill in the second Adam you understand in the first Adam we sinned but in the second Adam we are declared righteous in the first Adam we die but in the second Adam we have everlasting life in the first Adam I got sick but in the second Adam I'm healed somebody lift your hands and say I'm healed I'm glad that what God began in Genesis he harvests later in the Bible what he plants in Genesis. He harvests later in scripture. And that is why when God puts the first Adam into a deep sleep and goes into his side and brings out the bone with which he makes woman, then he has to complete it in the second Adam. That is why John bears witness. I was standing there when the second Adam went to sleep. If God put the first Adam to sleep, he's got to put the second Adam to sleep. Jesus cried with a loud voice, it's finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then Jesus went to sleep, laid his head in the locks of his shoulders. And when he went to sleep, that's when his side was pierced. If God went into the side of the first Adam, he's got to go into the side of the second Adam. If God went in the first Adam to bring out that with which he makes the bride of Adam, then he has to go in the side of the second Adam to bring forth that which would be the bride of Christ. That is why theologians concur that this is the conception of the church. For when that spear goes into Jesus' side, that's when his water broke. And when his water broke, the Bible says, out came blood and water. Thanks be to God that what he began in Genesis, he fulfills in Christ. That is why Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. If you're a small-minded person, then you got to destroy things. But if you are an advanced and disciplined thinker, you fulfill things. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets because I'm bigger than the law and the prophets. If it hadn't been for me, you wouldn't need a law. The design of the law was to graduate you back into morality. The law is a schoolmaster to point you into the direction of Christ. I know the law had good intentions, good purpose, good design, but the law was just weak through the flesh. That is why God planting this moral code in the law had to fulfill it in another dispensation called grace. You see, the hymn says, amazing grace. I've never heard anybody say amazing law. No, no, the law has severe punishment, but the law doesn't give you power to measure up to God's expectations. The law tells you when you're wrong, but doesn't give you kingdom authority to do 
what is right but through grace in Jesus Christ God gives me an indwelling presence and power something within that holds the rain something within that banishes pain something within that I can't explain all I know there is something within when it's in you you can feel it like fire in your bones you can feel it in your hands you can feel it in your feet no one of the old folks said if you don't feel nothing it's cause you ain't got nothing but if you got it it'll make you live holy hands if you got it it'll make you praise the Lord if you got it you give glory to the name of Jesus Christ come on help me give God some praise in a day hallelujah help me shout hallelujah hallelujah what God did in the first Adam he finishes in the second Adam I'm so glad Jesus is God's finisher and when you are the finisher you're not worried about how slow your predecessors were you're not worried about how many mistakes they made or how many times they fell down the finisher has got to be able to make up for all the problems of those early in the race doesn't matter how many sinful persons had the baton at first Jesus says give me the baton I am the finisher I can finish with nails in my hands I can finish with nails in my feet I can finish with thorns in my brow in fact if you put me on the cross you're really doing me a favor and I if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. I'm so glad they made a mistake and put Jesus on that cross. They underestimated him, nailed his hands, nailed his feet. But what they didn't realize, he didn't use his hands to make the world. He didn't use his hands to scoop out the seas. He didn't use his hand to make the mountains. He didn't use his feet to put stardust in the sky. What he used was his word. He spoke his word. Sun began to shine. Yeah. Oh, he spoke his word. Moon began to shine. Spoke his word. Oh, Lord. Everything came into existence. You're making a mistake if you nail the word's hands nail the word's feet but leave the word's mouth open if you leave his mouth open he can say a word that'll forgive humanity of their sins because his mouth was open he said father forgive them they don't know what they are doing because his mouth was open looked at his mother and said to Mary behold your son looked at John and said behold your mother because his mouth was open looked at a thief who had just blasphemed him and said this day will you be with me in paradise I'm so glad he left his mouth open oh Lord if you can open your mouth give God some glory if you can open your mouth give God some praise oh Lord oh if you can open your mouth you ought to magnify him I will bless the Lord at all times and all his praise shall continually be in my mouth say yes oh yeah Oh Lord, oh yes, I'm so glad he left my mouth open, been through the storm, been through the rain.
green but because my mouth is still open I want to give my testimony he brought me all the way he brought me through the valley of the shadow of death he brought me through the storm and the rain yeah oh yes God brought me he walks with me he talks with me tells me I am his own the joy we share as we tarry there none other have ever known come on shake hand with somebody and tell him he brought me all the way yes he did oh he brought me when I couldn't bring myself brought me with tears in my eyes oh he brought me by his power say yes say yes come on clap those hands give God some praise hallelujah help me say hallelujah hallelujah thanks be to God that God put it in you and if God puts it in you nobody can take it away from you God put it in Adam and only God could birth it through Adam God put it in Jesus Jesus knew he was pregnant I said Jesus knew he was pregnant he was carrying something in him for he said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it for just like the first Adam said she is born of my bone and flesh of my flesh Jesus gives birth to the church the church is not a human organization but the church is a spiritual organism Jesus had you and me in him that's why in the garden of Gethsemane while he's in travail he prayed for you and me I pray not that thou should take them out of the world but keep them from the evil leave them in a world of violence, hatred, racism, bigotry, wars, and rumors of wars, but just keep them from the evil all night long. Put your angels by them and keep them from the evil. Early in the morning, give them new mercies, compassions, and loving kindness to keep them from the evil. I thank God that even though the streets are dangerous, God is my keeper. He puts goodness on one side and mercy on the other. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Somebody help me say surely. Oh, surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me. Come on, look at one side of you. Look at somebody next to you and say, good morning, goodness. Look on the other side and say, good morning, mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me. Say yes, say yes. Jesus knew he was pregnant Jesus knew he was carrying you and me that's why when that sword pierced his sides the enemy was trying to abort Jesus baby but before the enemy could rip over Jesus sides Jesus took his own spirit and said father into thy hands I commend my spirit because really we were born 
preemies. We didn't have the strength we needed to survive. You could tell we were preemies. For Peter said, I never met him. Thomas said, if I don't put my finger in the nail print and thrust my hand in his side, I won't believe he rose from the dead. And that's why Jesus had to take his preemie baby and put it in the father's hand. Father, into your hands, I'm giving you my spirit. Father, into your hands, I'm putting my baby, the church. I got to go to hell for three days and nights. Hell ain't no place for my baby. Father, hold my preemie till I go to hell. Take back the keys of death and hell. Father, hold my preemie till I preach a three-day revival in hell. Jesus preached in hell all night Friday, all day Saturday, all night Saturday night but early the third day morning somebody help me say early this is the early crowd you get some things early that you don't get later in the day God is a morning person for the weeping endure for night joy cometh in the morning Say yes, say yes. Jesus got up from the dead. All power, heaven and earth is in my hands. Went back to glory. Sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. It's going to take 40 days for me to get my baby ready to go in the upper room 40 days of showing myself with infallible proofs and 10 more days in the upper room but after 50 days the church was ready to be born the midwife the Holy Ghost showed up at the early service for they criticized the church and said you drunk and it's just nine o'clock in the morning but Peter said we're not drunk like you think we're drunk we're just birthing what God placed within us he planted it in Genesis he spoke it in Joel in the last days saith God I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh on the day of Pentecost the church was born with Holy Ghost power somebody help me celebrate the Holy Ghost come on and put those hands together hallelujah help me shout hallelujah 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 glory to God glory 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 help me shout glory Glory. Mm-hmm. If God plants it in you, only God can birth it through you. If the word is in you, that means God has made you pregnant. And it takes God in you to birth what only God can bring forth you got to know you got something in you greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world because the fact of the matter is what you birth is going to have to be bigger than you I know that's a little heavy why don't you look at somebody and tell them what you birth has to be bigger than you You don't want to give birth to praise that's the size you are. You want to birth God-sized praise. You want to birth miracle-sized praise. Give birth to glorifying God in the Holy Ghost. Birth some praise in here. Birth some worship. Birth some glory to God. Birth some thank you, Jesus. I know you put it in me. God, only you can deliver it through me. I want every man, woman, boy, and girl to just raise your antennas 
the higher the antenna, the better the reception. If you haven't felt anything, raise your antennas. If you haven't heard anything, raise your antennas. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If you withdraw yourself from me, whither shall I go? I know that you call me before the foundation of the world. What you place within me is greater than any enemy that will ever come against me. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And God, when the going gets tough, and when it looks like I'm not going to make it, stir up what's in me. Stir up what you placed in my spirit. Stir up the miracle that's already in me. Stir up the faith that's already in me. And then God birthed it through me. If you could birth it through Mason, you birthed it through Blake. If you can birth it through Jesus, Jesus is in me. You can birth it through me. Come on, tell the Lord, just birth your miracle through me. Birth ministry through me. Birth breakthrough in my spirit. Birth the revelation of your spirit in Jesus' name. Come on and birth it. Birthing is work. Come on. It's some labor in here. Sometimes you got to holler. Somebody help me holler in here. Glory. Glory. Come on and birth that miracle. Come on and birth that praise. Birth that ministry. Birth that promise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, wave those hands and help me shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God. He is Lord. He is Lord. The door of the church is open. He has risen from the dead.